Well, today is week number two of a series that we are calling Ordinary uh, People, where we're kind of looking at the supporting cast, really, of, of the Bible. And by supporting cast, I mean that in opposition to maybe what we would think of uh, as lead roles, right? There are people who show up in the pages of Scripture momentarily, but at the same time, God uses them mightily. And it seems like God has this sense of joy and passion about using people who don't always demand uh, the lead roles. And so the way that we're saying this every week um, is that God uses ordinary people to accomplish his extraordinary purposes. The way that Matt said it to us last week, if you were here, God uses unlikely people, right, in unlikely ways to accomplish what we sometimes think are his unlikely, his unlikely purposes. Um, it really highlights the value for us, one of our core values of the church called personal ministry, which we say means we are servants. So at the end of the service today, I'm going to ask you if you're coming here, if you're calling LifePoint your church home and you are not currently serving, to just walk across the lobby to conference room B and there'll be folks over there who can answer any questions you've got about serving. Now, at first glance, I think sometimes people show up here and they're like, well, man, it looks like there's enough people around here. And I look around and people are doing stuff and it seems like things are humming. So I don't necessarily know that it feels like you always need folks. But one of the things that's a little bit unique um, about our church is that we fairly consistently invite people to leave. Um, we try and raise up and equip people and they go out and plant, help us plant other congregations, other campuses. And so to date, we have invited over 500 people uh, to leave here. And when you do that, uh, the people who tend to go other places are people who are mission-minded and they care and they want to serve and they're trained and equipped. And so we are constantly in need of more folks to use your gifts, wirings, talents, and abilities that, um, that God has given you. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to introduce you maybe today to four guys from Scripture that you've never heard of. And they are, um, they're so important that in the Old Testament, they actually saved the nation of Israel. And they're so supporting cast that no one bothers to write their names down. Like we don't even know really their names uh, and who they are. A little bit of background um, is that Palestine in this point in history in 2 Kings chapter 7 is kind of like um, the United States was back during the Civil War, right? You had the North and the South. Israel was the same way. There were 10 tribes to the North. They called themselves Israel. There were two tribes to the South. They referred to themselves as Judah. Now, Israel's capital up North was a city called Samaria. When you get to 2 Kings chapter 6 and 7, um, the Syrians have come and attacked and they're using a besieging strategy. In other words, they've circled around Samaria. They've cut off any food. It's not the growing season. So the people who are inside of Samaria, they can't grow any food. And so they are slowly starving. And they're not just a little bit, right? They're starving to death. It's so hard for us um, to gauge that, to feel that, to uh, to really understand that in the country that we live in. But, you know, we just had a mission team come back from, uh, from a country in the, in the Caribbean where the government controls food. And there are people there right now, and the government's holding back rations from people, and they're, they're starving, right? That's what was going on here in Israel. People, people are, it's so bad if you go back and look in chapter 6, verse 25, that it says that a donkey's head is being sold for 80 shekels. Now, shekel, think about that, about like a dollar. So the head of an animal, if you could imagine in our world, we think inflation's bad, right? Right now, being sold for $80. Like that was, 
That's crazy. That's the only way they could try and get food. In verses, I think it's 26 through 29 of chapter 6, two women argue back and forth about the cannibalism of their children. I mean, it, people are starving to death. It's a terrible situation. And into that come these four guys who have leprosy. And what they're going to teach us about serving, really three, three things. Number one, they're going to teach us death is inevitable. Number two, satisfaction is available. And number three, serving then is only logical. Okay, so 2 Kings chapter 7, turn over there and we'll start reading in verses 3 and 4. It says this. Now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance to the gate. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? That is a fantastic question to ask yourself. Why are we sitting here until we die? If they say, let us enter the city, the famine is in the city and we shall die there. If we sit here, we die also, so now come. Let us go over to the camp of the Assyrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall, uh, we shall but die. So the first thing, death is inevitable. Four guys who have leprosy, they say, why are we sitting here until we die? In other words, we know we're gonna die. Death's inevitable. One of two things is gonna get us. Either we're gonna die of starvation if we sit here, or we're gonna die of leprosy. There was no known cure for that disease. One of the two. Death, um, death has this way of bringing things into clarity and focus about, about what's really important um, in our lives. Now, if you've been around um, for the last couple of months, you know that um, probably it's, it's almost a month ago now that I have what I like to refer to as a cardiac event. My doctor likes to call it a heart attack. I call it, I don't choose to call, I don't, I don't choose to call it that because um, it just doesn't sound great, right? Um, but about a month ago, I was here at the church in the morning and just got done speaking in men's fraternity and all of a sudden felt this tightness in my chest. So I go over to the ER, they do all the tests they do, I have fantastic medical care. Um, and what they find out there in the ER, they slowly start to realize that I had 100% uh, blockage in my LAD artery that feeds kind of the middle of your heart. My doctor affectionately refers to that as the widowmaker artery. Um, so I have 100% blockage. So after they get some of those things, they're starting to figure some of those things out. They call for an ambulance and throw me in an ambulance, sirens blaring, rolling down 23 as fast as that ambulance uh, can go, and we're headed down to Riverside to the McConnell Heart Health Hos or Heart Hospital. So I'm laying in uh, I'm laying in the back of this van, right? They put the warm blankets on me, and I've kind of got this tightness still in my chest. And I'm looking up at the top of that van, and for the first time in my life, I thought, this may be it. Like, like I could I could die. And the gift of death, right, is that it brings incredible clarity. And it all, I mean, it comes, other things come with it, right? Processing, you kind of have to, and you don't know when that's going to kind of leak out of you. I was in the hospital for a couple of days. I came home. Um, Angie and I, we got home. She had to go, uh, she had to go over to Meyer. Got, by the way, God bless Angie. She is just so fantastic, so grateful uh, for Angie. You can clap for Angie. Yes, don't clap for me. You can clap for Angie. Um, 
So Angie runs over to Meyer, and like I said, you just don't know when this processing is gonna come out, right? So my, Angie's a big couponer, saves our family a lot of money with coupons and whatnot. So she's walking out of Meyer, she's got the cart full of stuff, she's kind of got the coupon thing over here. Big gust of wind comes along, and it blows all the coupons out of the coupon, uh, you know, folder thing. And, all, and there's like six or seven, eight people around, and they're all stomping on the coupons, you know, and they're reaching down and they're missing them. And, they're, and she lets go of the cart, so the cart starts going this way, and somebody else is running over and grabbing her cart and there's all this this chaos and all of a sudden it just comes out and she goes right, right to the whole Meyer parking lot of people that were out there she puts her arms up she says it's okay it's okay my husband had a heart attack last week but he lived it's okay so for the last you know two or three weeks whenever anything happens around our house I go it's okay it's okay it's all right but, but death does, it has a way of bringing things into focus. As a matter of fact, the greatest American theologian, Jonathan Edwards, he wrote 70 resolutions about his life. And I want to read you revolution or, uh, resolution number nine. Um, here's what Edwards said. Resolved to think much on all occasions of my own dying and the common circumstances which attend death. And I know it kind of feels morbid, right? But man, it's important that you and I realize. So some of you know this really well. You've lost people that you love, people that you care about. You have lived through James chapter four, verse 14, right? Life is a vapor. It is here and, and it's gone. And it's just a reminder to us like to get out of the paralysis of analysis sometimes. It's like, well, does God want me to do this? Or maybe God wants me to do this. And I don't want to do the wrong. I love these four lepers. Just do something that leads to life, right? We, if we sit here, we know we're going to, this isn't helping anything. Let's do, let's do something. Oftentimes, whenever I, whenever I do a funeral, I'll talk to the family and I'll say something like this. I'll say, you know what, right now, when you, when you lose somebody that you love and that you care about, you start having these thoughts. It's my life count. Is my life making a difference? And you start getting caught up in those thoughts. And when you voice them, well-intentioned people who care about you will come put their arm around you. And they'll say, don't worry. You'll get back to normal soon. And what they mean by that is you'll stop thinking this way. You'll go back to work. You'll get busy again. And I'll always look at the family and I say, don't get back to normal. The way that you're thinking right now, that's the way you should think. That's the way we all should think. I want my life to count. I want my life to make a difference. Are the things that I'm doing right now given to the things that lead to life? What I love about these four guys is they understand we have nothing to lose and we have everything to gain. So that was the first thing, death's inevitable. But look what happens in verse five. They head over to the camp of the Syrians because they think that's really the only option that they've got. So they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Assyrians. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. Now, just uh, a note, what's happened here is that um, God makes the Syrian army hear the sound of what they think to be another army attacking. So the Syrians run at dinner time. So it's like they've all fixed their plates, right? They're ready to sit down and eat. The Syrian army is God miraculously um, lets them hear this sound. They all run. So these four guys step into Syrian camp right at dinner time, 
all the food, right? It's like, you know, Southern Ohio heaven, a potluck at church, right? You can eat all you want. Everything is, everything is cooked up and they just step. They step right into this and look at verse eight. And when these lepers came to the edge of the camp and they went into a tent and ate and drank, if you can imagine starving for weeks, what that was, what that was like. And they carried off silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. And then they came back and entered another tent and carried off things from it and went and hid them. So the first thing, death's inevitable. Second thing, satisfaction is available. They show up and just imagine your favorite, whatever, your favorite fast, we'll say fast food, your favorite fast food restaurant, right? Uh, Chick-fil-A or Wendy's or whatever it is. Let's just say you show up uh, at your favorite fast food restaurant and nobody's there, but all the food's hot. And you can just eat all you want. And all of a sudden they start to eat and they start to eat and they realize that all the things that the Syrians have taken from them, right? Gold, silver, possessions, all that stuff, it's all sitting right there. So they start to grab it and they start to, they run some back to their, their uh, camp, wherever their camp, because they're lepers, they're isolated even from, from their own people, right? So they store that and they come back and they get some more and they get some more food because they think we're gonna get hungry again. And they go and they, they store, what's happened? God has made provision and the provision of God has led to their satisfaction. The provision of God, God has made provision and the provision of God has led to their satisfaction. Satisfaction is available. And now for us, God has made provision. He has made provision for the satisfaction of our souls in the person of Christ. So what? So in the middle of our world, we have, we have answers, right? In the middle of chaos, and whether you're here today and you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, you're a believer or you're not a believer, we all understand that the world's broken. We all agree, right, that the world is broken. And then in the middle of chaos, how are people gonna know? How are they gonna know that there's peace? They should see it in you and me. As believers, in the midst of craziness, we should be the most peaceful people. Then in the midst of despair, there's hope. That in the midst of, of terrible, so we should be the most hopeful people. That in the midst of hatred, there's love. We should be the most loving people. How are they gonna, how are they gonna know that? He's like, Dean, it sounds, it sounds so easy, right? It sounds so simple. Um, maybe this will help you. Um, it certainly has helped me. Jesus gave us what we call the great commandment, right? Uh, the great commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And sometimes whenever, um, whenever people who study the Bible and write commentaries and things like that, whenever, um, whenever they, say that they study, they say, well, that just means Jesus is just saying, love God with everything, everything you've got. And I agree with that. I also agree that words matter. That when Jesus says, heart, soul, mind, strength, and neighbors as yourself, and what we call the great commandment, the words matter. So I don't know if you ever thought about the words, but here's how I think about the words. When, I, when Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, I think about loving God with your passions, right? That's the passionate part of us. And I would say that's best expressed in the, the gathered community of believers. 
when we gather here on Sundays, worship together, when we gather in smaller groups and life groups uh, during the week. I think that's heart. We talk about soul. I think that's the Imago Dei, the image of God that he stamps on each of us that allow us to relate to him through what we would say uh, is the Bible, right? The Bible is God speaking to us in prayer. Prayer is us speaking back to God about the Bible, what he when he speaks to us. When I think about the mind, I think about our desire to learn, know, and understand. I think about theology, I think about doctrine. When I think about the word strength, I think about what we're talking about in this series, our physical activity, our, the physical energy that God gives us in serving. When I think about your neighbors as yourself, I think about that desire in us to make a difference, to share faith um, with, other, with other people. Now, what stands to reason to me, if these are the five ways, right, that we love God, if this is the, the five ways in the great commandment that Jesus commands us to love God, it would make sense to me that each of us is probably going to lean more in one of these five directions than another direction, right? So when you talk to somebody maybe who leans more in the heart direction and you say, what do, what do we need to do? What, is the, what does the church need to do? They're almost always gonna lead with, oh man, we need to get together more. We need to worship more. We need to, these are the people um, at church. I mean, the first note that the first, you know, strum on the guitar that the band hits on Sunday, they're touched down for Jesus, man. They're hands up, singing, worship. And listen, don't, don't criticize, right? Don't criticize those folks because um, the day before Sunday on Saturday, whenever Travion Henderson takes the ball across the goal line, you're doing this in your living room, right? And if you can raise your hands for Travion, you can certainly raise your hands for the son of God, right? Who died for you. It's that passionate part of us. And they're gonna say, well, that's what we need. You talk to somebody who's, um, who's leans more mind. You're gonna say, what do we need? We need more classes. We need more doctrine. We need, we need to learn more theology, the theos, the, the study of God. Like that's, that's really what the church, you talk to somebody who's a strength person. They're gonna say, well, what we really need to do is we need to serve. You talk to somebody um, who's a neighbors, right? Who leans that way. They're like, no, we need to get out outside the walls of the church and we need to share faith and we need to, and we're all probably gonna lean one direction or the other. So if it makes sense to you that we individually probably lean one way more or so than we do uh, the other, it would also make sense then that probably we have churches that lean more one way than they do the other. So you've got some churches and you show up there and man, it is all about, we are sharing faith, getting out, making a difference. You show up to some church. No, we're all about serving and taking care of one another. You show up to some churches and they're all about fellowship and the gathered community and everybody getting together. You show up to some, man, they're doctrine churches. It's teaching, teaching, teaching. And churches are gonna lean one way or the other, just like people lean one way or the other. The church that I grew up in was probably this, probably I would say this was up. May is all about sharing faith, sharing faith, sharing faith. And then I got to college and I got involved with a campus ministry and the campus ministry, <clears throat> excuse me, that I was involved with was all about Bible prayer, one-on-one -on -one personal relationship with Jesus. And it blew my mind. I never, I never caught that before. So you know what I thought when I was in college? When I was in college, I had it all figured out. I was like, this is what the church should be about. That's, but that's the thing, right? It was, I've had, I've had nothing but that kind of, all of, all of, this is, and then you know what I did? I helped plant a church um, in Memphis, Tennessee and our church there was all about this. And when I got this, I thought, oh, this is what the church should be about, right? It should be, it should be about this. And, and can I tell you, one of the biggest 
easiest mistakes to make in Christianity is to criticize the church or the ministry or the generation that you are not part of. I hear it all the time. Whichever one of these ways that you lean more than others, you, the easiest way to elevate this is to subjugate, right? Is to push down the other ideas the other ways. And incidentally, it's not that we need one of these things. We need all five of these things. And I didn't intentionally do this, but the conclusion I, I came the other day as I was studying through and just preparing my heart uh, for today, you know what this looks like to me? And listen, LifePoint, not a perfect church. We've got a lot of ways and opportunities that we need to grow. But you know what? To me, what this looks like is authentic community, spiritual intimacy, gospel identity, personal ministry, and reaching priority. And we need to be balanced. We need all five of those things going on. So what am I, why did I say all this? I'm saying this to you. If you're not serving statistically, and I know it doesn't work exactly this way, but statistically, if you are not serving the body using your talents, gifts, and abilities, you've just cut yourself off of numerically what's 20% of the way that you can grow as a believer. You've just cut yourself off 20% of the opportunity to fulfill the great commandment given to us by Jesus to actively love and pursue God. And what I love about these four guys is that they realize, man, satisfaction is available, right? It's available, so what? So, that's what makes the third reality so important. Death's inevitable, satisfaction is available. So serving, serving's only logical. Look what happens here, uh, here at the end of the narrative, verse nine. Then they said to one another, we are not doing right. This is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning, punishment will overtake us. Now therefore come and let us go and tell the king's household. So they're stashing stuff, they're eating, right? They got a burger in one hand, they're throwing stuff in the cave in the other hand, they're going back and forth and they're realizing, hey, we're gonna get hungry again, we're gonna have needs again and they're, they're hoarding stuff, they're coming back and forth, back and forth and all of a sudden one of them, the nice one, I don't know which one of the four was the nice guy, the Enneagram two, if you're into the Enneagram, the Enneagram two says to the rest of the group, hey, this isn't right. We're keeping all this stuff for ourselves. We're being selfish. We should go back and tell everybody in the city what's happened so that they can all come out and they can share the only logical option they said for us is to serve. Why? Because serving is how you grow. Now, serving is not the only way that you grow, but it is one of the ways, right? It's one of the five ways that you grow. And the people of God served. You look throughout the scriptures, especially these supporting cast folks. What would have been easiest for these four lepers to go, you know what, man? We got leprosy. We're, I mean, this is like a death sentence. We can't do anything. What is easiest for us to do in the middle of disruption in our lives is to say, well, now's not the time for me to serve. And what I see in scripture is different. What I see is that the majority of servants in scripture served through disruption, not to disruption. We're all busy. 
We all have reasons that we can't, right? We could all tabulate them all up and put them on the ticker. But the people of God served through. They were blessed by being a blessing. And I'll say in a lot of times in scripture, serving was part of their healing. And we see that around here all the time. You get connected to a group, you get connected to a ministry, and as you serve, you develop relationships with those people. And serving becomes part of your healing. Not to mention the fact that, man, is it fun to make a difference. I came in, uh, I came in the uh, north side of the lobby probably, I don't know, it's probably three months ago now. And on my way in, I walked by guest parking. At that point in the morning, there was only one. There was a black Honda Odyssey pulled in one of the guest spots. And as I walked behind the black Honda Odyssey, I noticed there was a radial band that had broken off the tire that was sticking out of the back rear, the driver's side tire about six feet. Now that's, day, I don't know, that's dangerous, right? I mean, you don't want to be driving that vehicle. So I was like, oh man, what are we, what are we going to do? Because if they don't notice it, if they don't see it, they take off. So I come into the end of the lobby. I'm looking for somebody on the connections team because I know it's somebody who's a guest. And the first people I see are Andy and Jody Snyder. So I go up to Andy and Jody, I'm like, hey, have you registered anybody new? And Jody said, you know what? I did, we just had a new family come in. I know where they're sitting. I'll go check on them and I'll explain the whole thing. And Andy looks at me and Andy says, well, we gotta go fix the tire. And I look at Andy like, how are you gonna go fix a radial band that's busted off? And he looks at me like, I work at Honda. Now, for clarity, Andy works in accounting at Honda, okay? <laughs> he knows more than me, but he knows this much more, right? than me. So I'm like, well, I'm going to go check with children's check-in and see if a new family registered over there. So I go there, didn't find anything out. I come back in the lobby. And about that time, Jody is coming back from this side of the lobby. She's like, that family, I found them. They don't have a black Honda Odyssey. I said, I didn't find out anything. So we're catching up. About that time, maybe 60 seconds later, Andy walks up and he goes, it's fixed. I said, what do you mean it's fixed? And he said, it's fixed. He's like, I went out there, crawled underneath uh, the Honda Odyssey, and he's like, it actually wasn't a radial band broken off the tire. It looked like it. Somehow their axle picked up a radial band, and it was wound around the axle, so they were pulling it along. And if it had gotten pulled into that you know, left tire, that would, have been, that would have been a bad deal. So he's like, I just crawled up underneath there and unwound it off of. So actually, if you're here today and you drive a black Honda Odyssey van, Andy saved your life, right? <laughs> But I'll just tell you, those are the kinds of people that we are blessed, right? To have, we have people who every, every other week they serve in LifePoint Kids, they rock crying babies and they pray for them. Um, in the process, they serve in LifePoint Kids, they lead small groups, they're serving in student ministry, they're serving in production um, in kids or they're serving in singing, leading worship. Uh, kids are leading worship here. Um, incredible, the, the parking team. Where are, um, where, where are Grether and Cam? Where are you? Are you guys in here? Raise your hand up. You're not, you're, where are you? Stand up. If you're in here somewhere uh, in the room. Where, yeah. Yeah. You know why they're sitting up top? Because there's only two of them on that team and they're mad at the rest of you. If two guys on the parking team right now, I come in this morning, walk through the lot and they've got their hands on the, uh, on the golf cart and man, they are, they're pushing it right. They're step after step after step on the parking team. These are the, they show up early, young guys. And listen, as nicely as I can say it, we need you. We need you. So I'm laying in the back of this ambulance, right? 
looking up at the top of that ambulance and I'm rolling down Route 23 and the thought occurs to me, this could be it. And I had this terrible, I guess that's the terrible part, wonderful moment. I experienced, I I didn't lose consciousness and see a light or anything like that. Conscious the whole time. But I experienced, as best I understand it, biblically, the peace that passes understanding that Paul talks about in the Philippians, to the Philippians. And I looked up at the Lord. I'm staring at the top of the van. And I said, God, if today's my day, I'm ready. Angie knows I love her. Now, of course, when I told Angie this story, she's like, well, I was praying exactly the opposite. (laughs) And God answered my prayer, not yours. So he loves me more, which I don't deny. I think God loves Angie more than he loves loves me. But I said, God, Angie knows I love her. And my kids know that I love them. And this is my moment. I'm ready. I got lots of regrets. There are things in my life that I wish I could go back and change. There are things in my life that I still want to do, but I haven't done yet. But in that moment, what was primary was this incredible, incredible peace. As much as I was capable of, I knew that I was right with God. And so what I'll tell you about my moment in the van, what I've told other people about it, I wouldn't choose it and I wouldn't change it because I have this incredible clarity right now in my life about what's really, really important. And I wish that for you. I don't wish bad things for you. Listen, death's inevitable. At some point, there's a calendar, there's a day with my date, my name on it, and same for you. And there's satisfactions available. We call it the doctrine of the incarnation that God in the person of Jesus left heaven, came to earth, died on a cross, and paid for our sins. There's provision, satisfaction is available to you. So serving is only logic. It's the only logical option. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put a slide up behind me. And this slide behind me represents all of the serving opportunities that we have that are currently available. We need you. We need your talents and gifts and abilities. And when the service is over today, all you got to do You don't have to sign up for something. You don't have to show up for something. All you have to do is just walk across the lobby. Have a conversation with somebody about how you can take the provision that God has put into you, that he has given to us in the person of Christ, that is implanted into believers in the power of God's spirit and allow him to do through you 
through a very ordinary person. I'm a very ordinary person. And he can accomplish his extraordinary purposes. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the gifts that you give us. They come in lots of different packages. And God, for a lot of people who are in the room right now, there's, there's some gifts that have come to us in packages that we wouldn't choose. We don't like the, we don't like the wrapping. We don't like the, we don't like the box that it came in. But God, you're actually using those things to shape us, to change us, to bring us into the image of your son. And so God, for that, we are grateful. Resolved, God, are we to use our talents, gifts, and abilities for your glory and not for our own. God, I pray that you will help us to live the reality that we're about to sing. That we would build our lives. Not on our abilities, not on our talents, not on our selfish goals, but that we would build our lives on you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.